Today, I'm speaking with Mustafa Suleiman. In 2010, he helped found one of the world's top AI labs, DeepMind. In 2014, DeepMind was then acquired by Google, and he became head of applied AI at DeepMind. In 2022, he left Google to found Inflection AI. Inflection has received over a billion dollars in investment so far and is now working to build one of the largest supercomputers in the world. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Mustafa. Thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be here. How to get skeptics to take safety seriously. The first part of the book that mentions this idea of pessimism aversion, right? Which is something that I've experienced my whole career. Like I've always felt like the weirdo in the corner who's, you know, sort of raising the alarm and kind of saying, hold on a second, we have to be cautious. Um, obviously, lots of people listening to this podcast will probably be familiar with that because, we're, you know, we're all a little bit more fringe. But certainly in Silicon Valley, like, you know, that kind of thing, you know, I get called a D-cell sometimes, which I, I actually had to look up, <laughs> which, which actually means, I guess it's a play on me being an incel, which obviously I'm not, and some kind of decelerationist, you know, like, or Luddite or something, which is obviously also bananas, given like what I'm actually doing in my company. <laughs> it's an extraordinary accusation. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean... Um, people have this fear, particularly in the US, of pessimistic outlooks. I mean, the number of times, you know, people come to me and be like, well, you, you seem to be quite pessimistic. It's like, no, I just don't think about things in this simplistic, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? This is just a terrible framing. It's like BS. I'm neither. I'm just observing the facts as I see them. And I'm doing my best to share for critical public scrutiny what I see. If I'm wrong, rip it apart and let's debate it. But let's not sort of like lean into these biases either way. So in terms of things that I've found productive in these conversations is, you know, frankly, the national security people are much more sober. And the way to get their head around things is to talk about misuse. I mean, it, you know, they, they they see things in terms of bad actors, non-state actors, threats to the nation state. And so in the book, you know, I've really tried to frame this as a, you know, implications for the nation state and stability. Because, you know, one level, whether you're, you know, progressive or otherwise, we care about the ongoing stability of our current order. We really don't want to live in this like mad maxian, hyper libertarian, you know, chaos post nation state world. We, you know, the nation state, I think we can all agree you know, that a shackled Leviathan does a good job of like putting constraints on, you know, the chaotic emergence of, of bad power and uses that to do redistribution in a way that keeps peace and prosperity, you know, going. So I think that there's general alignment around that. And if if you make clear that this has the potential to be misused, I think that's effective. What What wasn't effective, I can tell you, was the obsession with superintelligence. You know, I honestly think that did a seismic distraction, if not disservice, to the actual debate. Like there was many more practical things because I think a lot of people who heard that in policy circles just thought, well, this is not for me. This is a completely speculative. What do you mean recursive self-improvement? What do you mean like AGI superintelligence taking over? Like the, the number of people who barely have heard the phrase AGI but know about paperclips it's just unbelievable. Like, you know, people completely non-technical people would be like, yeah, I've heard about the paperclip thing. What, you think that's likely? I'm like, oh, geez, that, that is, stop <laughs> talking about paperclips. <laughs> yeah. So I think avoid that side of things, focus on misuse. 
Is there a risk that Mustafa's company could speed up the race towards dangerous capabilities? On that general um, theme, a recurring question from submitted by listeners was right, right along these lines, basically, that you're, you're clearly alarmed about advances in AI capabilities in the, in the book and, and, and you're worried that policy is lagging behind. Uh, and in the book, you propose all kinds of different policies for, for containment, like auditing and using choke points to, to slow things down. And you say we need to you know, find ways of buying time, slowing down, giving, I think a literal quote, yeah, finding ways of buying time, slowing down, giving space uh, for more work on the answers. But at the same time, your company is building one of the largest uh, supercomputers in the world and you think over the next eight months, you might do a, a language model training run that's 10x or 100x larger than the one that produced uh, GPT-4. Like, isn't it possible that your own actions are helping to speed up the race towards dangerous capabilities that, that you wish were not going on? So I, I don't think that's correct for a number of reasons. First, I think the, the primary threat to the stability of the nation state is not the existence of these models themselves, or indeed the, the existence of these models with the capabilities that I mentioned. The primary threat to the nation state is the proliferation of power, right? It's the proliferation of power which is likely to cause catastrophe and, and chaos, right? Centralized power has a different threat, which is also equally bad and needs to be taken care of, which is authoritarianism and the misuse of, of that centralized power, which I care very deeply about, right? So that's for sure. But as we said earlier, I'm not in the kind of AGI, you know, sort of intelligence explosion camp that I think that just by developing models with these capabilities, suddenly it sort of gets out of the box, deceives us, persuades us to go and get access to more resources, gets to, you know, sort of inadvertently update its own goals. You know, I think I think this kind of anthropomorphism is the wrong metaphor. I think it is a distraction. So the training run in itself, I don't think is, you know, sort of sort of dangerous at that scale. I, I, I really don't. And I, I think that the second thing to think about is there are these overwhelming incentives which drive the creation of these models, these huge geopolitical incentives, you know, the huge desire to research these things in open source, as we've just discussed, you know, so the entire ecosystem of creation defaults to production right they're, they're me not participating you know certainly doesn't you know reduce the likelihood that these models get developed so i think the best thing that we can do is try to develop them and do so safely and at the moment when we do need to step back from specific capabilities like the ones i mentioned recursive self-improvement and autonomy um then i will and we should and the the fact that we're at the table, you know, like, for example, at the White House recently signing up to the voluntary commitments, one of seven companies in the US signing up to those commitments means that we're able to shape the distribution of outcomes to put the question of ethics and safety, you know, at the forefront in those kinds of discussions. So I think you get to shape the Overton window when it's available to you because you're a participant and a player. And I think that's true for everybody. I think everybody who is thinking about AI safety and is motivated by these concerns should be trying to operationalize their alignment intentions, their alignment goals, right? You have to actually make it in practice to prove that it's possible. Open sourcing frontier ML models. I think I've come out quite clearly pointing out the risks of large scale access. I think I called it naive open source in 20 years time. Right. So that what, what that means is if we just continue to open source absolutely everything for every new generation of frontier models, then it's quite likely that we're going to see a rapid proliferation of power. I mean, these are 
state-like powers which enable small groups of actors or maybe even individuals to have you know an unprecedented one-to-many impact in the world you know just as in the last wave of social media you know it sort of enabled anybody to have broadcast powers you know anybody to essentially function as an entire newspaper you know from the 90s by the 2000s you know you could have millions of followers you know on twitter or instagram or whatever and you know you're really influencing the world in a way that that was previously the preserve of a you know a publisher that in most cases was licensed and regulated that was an authority that could be held accountable if it really did something egregious and we all of that has now kind of fallen away for good by the way reasons and in you know in, in some cases with bad consequences we're going to see the same trajectory with respect to access to the ability to influence the world i mean you can think of it as related to my modern turing test that i proposed around you know artificial capable ai like machines that go from being evaluated on the basis of what they say you know the imitation test of the original turing um test to evaluating machines on the basis of what they can do. Can they use APIs? How persuasive are they of other humans? Can they interact with other AIs to get them to do things, right? So if everybody gets that power, that starts to look like, you know, individuals having the power of organizations or even states. Um, I'm talking about models that are like two or three orders of magnitude, maybe four orders of magnitude on from where we are. And we're not far away from that. We're going to be training models that are 1,000x larger than they currently are in the next three years. I mean, uh, you know, even at inflection with the compute that we have, we'll be 100x larger than the current frontier models in the next 18 months. So although I took a lot of heat on the open source thing, I clearly wasn't talking about today's models. I was talking about future generations, and I still think it's right. And I stand by that because I think that if we don't have that conversation, then we end up, you know, basically putting massively chaotic destabilizing tools in the hands of absolutely everybody. How you do that in practice, you know, somebody referred to it as like trying to, you know, catch rainwater, trying to stop <laughs> rain by catching it in your hands, <laughs> which I think is a very good rebuttal. It's absolutely spawn. Of course, this is insanely hard, right? And I'm not saying that it's not, you know, difficult. I'm saying that it's the conversation that we have to be having, right? Voluntary versus mandatory commitments for AI labs. In July, uh, Inflection signed on to eight voluntary commitments uh, with, with the with the White House, including things like committing to internal and external security testing and investing in cybersecurity and insider threat safeguards and facilitating third-party discovery and reporting of vulnerabilities. Th- those are all uh, voluntary, though. What commitments would you like to become legally mandatory for all major AI labs in the US and UK? <laughs> that is a good question. I think some of those voluntary commitments should become legally mandated. Number one would be scale audits. What size is your latest model, right? Number two, there needs to be a framework for harmful model capabilities like bioweapons, coaching, nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, general bomb-making capabilities. Those things are pretty easy to document and it, you know it just should not be possible to reduce the barriers to entry for people who don't have specialist knowledge to go off and manufacture those things more easily the third one that i i have said publicly and that i care a lot about is that we should just declare that these models shouldn't be used for electioneering right they just shouldn't be part of the political process ban that yeah you shouldn't be able to ask pi 
you know, who Pi would vote for or like what the difference is between these two candidates. Now, the counter argument is that many people will say, well, this might be able to provide useful and accurate and valuable information to educate people about elections, et cetera, et cetera. Look, there is never going to be a perfect solution here. You, you have to take benefits away in order to avoid harms. And that's always the trade-off. You can't have perfect, you know, benefits without any harms, right? Like, so that, that's, that's just a trade-off. I would rather just take it all off the table and say that we- We can put some of it back later on once, we've, once we understand how to do it safely. That's the best way. That is totally the best way. Now, obviously, a lot of people say that I'm super naive in claiming that this is possible because, you know, models like Stable Diffusion and Llama 2 are already out in open source and people will certainly use that for electioneering. Again, this isn't trying to, you know, resolve every single threat vector to our democracy. It's just trying to say, like, at least the large scale hyperscaler model providers, you know, like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you know, and others should just say this is against our terms of service, right? So you're just making it a little bit more difficult and maybe even a little bit more taboo if you don't declare that your election materials are human generated only. Mm-hmm. 